I'm Dr. Nicole Byers, clinical psychologist and brain health expert, and you're listening to The Bold Life Podcast, the podcast for working moms who are feeling stressed out and overwhelmed trying to do it all. As a working mom with big career dreams, I know what it's like to not have enough time in the day and to lack the skills and confidence to reach your goals. I have spent years understanding how our brains work and learning what holds us back from having the courage to reach our dreams. Each week, I'll be sharing practical strategies to help you find more time in your day, build your confidence, fight back against mom guilt, and reach your goals. If you want to learn how to thrive both at home and at work, you're in the right place. Hello, and welcome to the Bold Life Podcast. Today, we're joined by Lisa Kilgore, who's here to talk to us about undieting and how our beliefs about weight and body image can hold us back. Lisa is a registered holistic nutritionist and a sought-after speaker, educator, and author who helps people heal from diverse and complex health issues. In 2015, she spoke at TEDx Kelowna on the gut-brain connection, and in 2010, she was voted BC's favorite nutritionist by Natural Healthcare Canada. Her brand new book, Undieting, Freedom from the Bewildering World of Fad Diets, was released in September 2020. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Nicole. So I am really excited about this conversation. I mentioned to Lisa before I hit record here that this is a topic I am very interested in learning more about. So maybe can you kick us off? Tell me a little bit about what got you interested in working in this area. I arrived like many practitioners. I arrived because I I needed to figure me out. I was uh, a university student and I was in a a performance music program and I had uncontrolled asthma. I had nerve damage on both my arms, tendonitis in both my thumbs, and I was a performance flute player. So I really needed my fingers, my thumbs, my arms, and my my lungs, (laughs) really. And the stress of everything was compounding with each year. And by my last year at university, I had, I was so foggy, I forget what day of the week it was, where I was going, I was just living in this daze. And I went from doctor to doctor, and nobody could figure out what was going on. And interestingly, nobody asked me what I ate. I ate sugar all day long. Uh, I ate processed food. I think I ate a vegetable a month when I was like, I realized that that I had this like desperate hunger sometimes that was solved by an apple, but I didn't eat more apples. I just only ate it when I had that desperate hunger. And when I left school, I lucked out and got a job in the wellness industry, working for a supplement company that made a whole food like green product, which was so outside of my wheelhouse. And over time, I gained the courage and I tried it. And my body just started getting nourished for the first time in years. And it was only a couple weeks in that my brain turned back on and I had focus and clarity again, which I hadn't had. I couldn't remember the last time I could could think clearly. I forgot that I liked learning. And my job was to learn about nutrition. So I, I dove in and I learned as much as I could. And I moved around the company doing different jobs, but I really, really missed that one-on-one connection I had in my first job, which was customer service. And so I went back to school for nutrition and thought, well, I could do this. I could help people. And so I did that. In two, I graduated in 2007 and then moved across the country to British Columbia, where I started my practice in 2008. And since then, I've worked with a few thousand people and get, I get to help them figure out their own health puzzle and give them hope and clarity that how they feel isn't 
abnormal. It's just not, doesn't fit in the medical regime perfectly and that their food intake may be what's causing the problems. And when we, we adjust their diet, when we add in these healthy whole foods, they feel like I did where their brain turns back on and they feel better and they, and they get to understand their body and embrace their body in a whole new way. So interesting. I love that. I think we can all relate, especially at those times in our lives when we're just really busy that we're not focusing so much on what's really nourishing our body, right? Like I'm sure it's been many years since I was a student, but I'm sure I also ate like garbage and I don't remember cooking many meals. So it's a lot of what was ready, what was available and just trying to get through and not really taking that time to think about, you know, how am I fueling my body and how that might be impacting how you're feeling. Absolutely. Like it wasn't even on my radar. It was years after that I looked back and thought, well, yeah, no doctor asked me what I ate. Isn't that weird? But I was a nutritionist by then. So of course I was like, I had realized that food made such a difference, but that's, that's the thing we have to look at ourselves and each other as a whole being that uh, we can't just say, this is what is going on with your diet without looking at what's your stress level, what's your lifestyle. And, and these all play a role in how we feel. And when we can look at ourselves as a whole, we can have, I, I believe I have more compassion for myself and I, and I believe other people do too. And you can see that, you know what? Yeah, you're holding a lot of weight right now. You're, you're really, really busy. Maybe that's why your energy is so low. And it just makes life a little bit easier when, when you can put everything in context. Absolutely. Yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit more, kind of that relationship between stress and everything that's going on and, and food? And can you kind of give some some tips and what would you recommend there? Well, that, it's kind of the, the core of the principle of undieting um, that my book is based on. And what, what, it, what it is, is tuning back into your body and listening to what it's trying to tell you. And symptoms of stress is one of them, um, but also cravings. What, what are you drawn towards? What do you enjoy? Uh, what lights you up, um, both in activity, activities as well as in food? And when we can really tune in and understand our body and its uniqueness and its unique concept, Constitution, then there isn't this questioning. There's no, oh, should I be on a low carb diet? If you if you know your body, you get exactly what it needs. So you don't have to question this anymore. And you get to know, oh, you know what, my body needs exercise, but not too much and not too little. Like I, I know where my sweet spot is. And I can handle stress, but not too much and not too little. You know where your sweet spot is there too. Because all of these inputs play a role in our overall health. Our body isn't healthy if it never touches stress but it also isn't healthy when it's living in stress, which is honestly what most of us are doing. Um, our body isn't healthy if it only eats perfectly healthy food. That actually is a very unhealthy diet. Um, but it also isn't healthy if it only eats processed food and junk food. There is this lovely sweet spot and you can get to know what your own sweet spot is. And when you get off, you know what the symptoms are. And it's like, oh, I need to pull myself back in. And it's just, it's food freedom. It's so much easier than trying to bend your, your lovely, unique constitution into something that's usually just a fad or a fashion or just like what we think is right right now, which changes constantly. I've been in this industry for almost 20 years and I've watched the food paradigm change enough that I'm like, yeah, it's just going to keep changing. We're on the brink of another big change. And in five years, we're going to say, oh my gosh, can you believe we ate a high protein diet? That's crazy. Right. It's just our body already knows and we don't need to dance inside this chaos at all. 
That's so interesting. And and I agree, it's so overwhelming as a consumer, everything that's out there, right? Like even thinking about throughout my lifetime, like first it's like, oh, we shouldn't eat butter. Like we should eat margarine. Then it's like, oh, whoops, margarine's bad. Like let's go back to butter. And then like I saw something on the news the other day about like maybe we shouldn't have butter again. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I've only been on this planet like 40 years and it's like just one food has changed so much, right? Exactly. And and that confusion... I argue sells products. So they want us to stay confused because food manufacturers can manufacture whatever food fashion there is. When fat went out of style, they just adjusted all the food to take fat out and put sugar in. And when we look at food politics, we can see that the sugar industry helped create that low fat life because they realized that if you take fat out, you have to bring flavor back in and that's sugar. And so we'll sell more sugar. And they did. They sold enormously more sugar. They manipulated the science to, to vilify fats. Well, that makes me not trust a lot of stuff. And right. what do I trust is what have we done for generations before we started trying to figure out how to understand food? What did our our ancestral knowledge tell us? What did our traditions tell us? And that's where you find healthy food. We all ate whole foods. We ate what was available in our area, which in certain areas was butter, but not in others. And we always ate a fermented food because that's how you could store food in the long term. And we ate fruit and vegetables and starches and proteins and healthy fats. And fat was a, a absolutely precious commodity that you saved. And then in the 80s, we threw away, like you you rinsed it off everything, you did everything you could to make it low fat. And we weren't healthier then. Are we healthier now with this high protein diet? I argue, even worse, we're, and we're, we're not doing any better. And so what we just simply need to do is kind of go kind of touch back into what fuel what will fuel this body the best and what ancestral forms of food or or my great grandmother's form of food that's as far back as you need to go what did she eat or what did they eat that I could do now that could fuel and feed my body properly in the season that I'm in and when you when you bring when you look at food in that different way you can add butter to things and and enjoy it. And I eat starchy root vegetables in the winter because that's what's warm and out of style, but that's what fuels my body. And we can look at cravings as a symptom of when the body's a little off. And so in this season, so we're recording this in late winter, early spring, uh, this is the time where sugar cravings have been pretty loud for a while because most people are eating summer foods, like they're still eating a lot of salads because that's what we're told is healthy and they're available. We're in a low carb fashion right now. So a lot of people are avoiding potatoes and warm stews and, and that comforty food because it's high carb and therefore unhealthy. Right. Um, and so that drives uh, the body to warm itself up and that creates sugar cravings that if all we did was trade our salads for potatoes and that alone will cut those, sh those sugar cravings in a lot of people. And when we, when we kind of embrace where we live and what temperature it is, it can make the season so much nicer. Interesting. So it sounds like not only being aware of your own body, but also you mentioned some geography and some history in there too, that really plays a role in types of foods that we could be eating to fuel us a little bit more. 
Yeah, but it doesn't have to be perfect. Like you don't need to do a research on your grandma, great grandmother's diet to be able right. to eat perfectly. But you can also look at what can farmers grow around me? What stores in the winter? And should I be eating strawberries in January or a big salad that can't be grown without the heat? The same is true in the summer. You don't want to eat a big hearty stew in the middle of July because it's so it will heat you up so much. Right. Uh, and most of us just simply don't because um, we don't want it. But because because summer foods are seen as so healthy, we tend to do that in the winter. And then we're just cold and miserable and our mood is low and our sugar cravings are high. Uh, I live in a hot place in the summertime without air conditioning. And so I'm more careful in the summertime with my diet than even in the winter. Um, because if I eat anything too warm, I'm just like lying on the couch all evening. Going, oh my yes. God. Yeah. <laughs> that was like way too much heat because <laughs> I have no method to cool off. Whereas when I visit my parents, they live in air conditioning. And so they'll be eating foods that I would never eat in the summer. But I'm like, Oh, yeah, it's also cold in here. So <laughs> this, this is okay. You're not having to worry about sleeping in a 25 degree Celsius house. Um, you are cooling it off in the in the in the summertime. So therefore, you don't have to worry as much. And but I would argue that simply even eating summer foods in the summer, it also makes the summer so much nicer, you don't have to air condition in your house as much. Right. Oh, super interesting. I just want to come back a little bit. One thing you were talking about was uh, kind of relates to something we talk about a lot on this podcast and it's about control and how much control we have. And, and it sounds like when we're, when we're in those diet fads and when this messaging is coming from outside us, it's like, it's like we're giving up control of our eating. And it sounds like one of the messages you talk about a lot is bringing that control back to your body and recognizing those signs. Absolutely. I'm a woman who's in my early 40s, and I've lived inside the dieting culture my whole life. I started dieting when I was 12, not because I thought I needed to lose weight, but I, but that's what grownups did. And I, I still, I still fight it. Um, the, the, the dieting, the threads of the dieting culture are in my head as I age and think, oh, my worth is going down. Well, actually, no, it's not really, but, um, it is on Instagram because I don't sit there and, uh, but I'm getting better at my job. So isn't that worth it? And, when it comes to our food, dieting culture makes us question everything. It, it says, don't listen to your body. Your body doesn't know. You need to willpower over your body and eat what I'm telling you to eat. And I'm right. You're wrong. And I disagree that that our body is our best friend. It's our best ally. It wants nothing more than a, for us to be healthy. And that can be hard to understand when you've been fighting your cravings your entire life. And you're worried that if you don't stop fighting them, you will only eat chocolate cake for the rest of your life. But the truth is, is that if it's back on the table, you might eat it for a while because you've been deprived for so long. But once that deprivation feeling is over with, you will stop caring and you will only eat it when you really want it. Um, I love chocolate cake, but because I can eat it any day that I want, I don't. Like I can eat it today. I could go to the store and buy some. I can make some and eat it today, but I know it won't make me feel good. So one thing you mentioned as well is that a lot of our beliefs about body image and dieting um, are external to us. And you mentioned that social media component and kind of what we see out there and what we're presented with in terms of, you know, what is ideal for women and all those messages that we get. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that goes into this, our beliefs about weight and what we eat? Yes, I think it's a really important conversation because the dieting culture has been in our life 
our entire life. Maybe if you're in your 90s, you might remember freedom from it. But really, like dieting has been around since the early 1900s, at least actually middle of 1500s. And what this does is it makes the outside expert the expert and you as the I need to change myself so it works inside this paradigm. It steals our confidence and it steals our intuition and it steals our ability to understand what our body really wants because our body is actually our very best friend. It's our best ally in our health and it knows exactly what you need to feel better. But when you are following a diet or a plan or any kind of eating, um, anything with like something that eating, even clean eating, um, you're usually having to willpower over what your body is craving so you can stay on this paradigm. And I argue that your cravings are one of the best guides to finding out what your body wants to find in balance. Uh, like I'm a big sugar craver, but over time, I've always added sweet flavors to my diet, but less and less white sugar. And so now when I have white sugar, it doesn't feel as good. It still tastes a little good at the very beginning, but I don't have those desperate cravings. A lot of uh, women, when I work with them, they'll be like, yeah, but Lisa, if I say yes to my cravings, I will dive headfirst into them. They'll be totally out of control. When the truth is, is that it's deprivation that makes us want to binge. And new research is finding this deprivation binge cycle, that binging only happens with this feeling of deprivation. And with a lot of people I've worked with, I've seen how simply by adding the flavors that you're looking for and the types of food that you're looking for, that feeling of deprivation goes down. And then when you have something you really enjoy, it's not such a big deal. Um, a client that I worked with, and she's given me permission to share the story, uh, she used to binge on pink icing, specifically pink icing, and it would last for weeks. And she was kind of uh, seemed a bit ashamed of it when we first started talking. But when I looked at her diet, she had done what we're told to do, take sugar out everything sweet. She had no fruit, no sweet vegetables, no dates, no healthy sugars, nothing. Um, but her constitution, her body is was balanced by sweet. And she had a very high energy job. She was massage therapist. And so she needed both her body to be strong and full of energy, but also her brain strong and full of energy. And as soon as we started adding fruit and sweet, healthy sweets to her diet, her binging on pink icing um, went down and down and down. And now she still likes it. Um, I, I shared the story recently. And so she wrote back and she's like, yeah, when I go into it, it only lasts maybe a day instead of weeks like it used to last. Uh, and because we have these childhood connections to certain foods. And so you're not going to lose that. But what we want to stop is this like I uncontrolled all I want is this food and it always comes out of deprivation and this feeling like you haven't listened to your body. Your body is dead desperately trying to win and is shoving you over to what you need. And it just might not be the healthiest form yet, but by giving into these cravings, by enjoying these cravings, when they come, you can start understanding the language of your body. And that I believe gives a lot of confidence in who you are and what you need. So interesting. And I think that I can imagine that's a really hard mental shift for a lot of folks to make. And just like you said, that idea of feeling like we're, we're giving into these cravings and we worked so long to control them, right? Um, one of the things that I talk about, about a lot with my clients is uh, folks who struggle with worry and they worry all the time. And we talk about scheduling time to worry. And some of the pushback I get is like, well, what if I let myself worry and I can't rein it back in, right? Which seems like the same thing with food, right? Well, what if I let myself have those foods and I can't rein it back in because they haven't had that chance yet to experience that? And just like your, your client that you talked about, 
well, I've had these experiences where I've gone weeks and weeks and weeks of eating this pink icing. What if it doesn't get any better? Where do you recommend people start at that point? Is there some place to start overcoming those beliefs and kind of what do they do? What do we do about this? <laughs> it's a really good question. And, and because, because our weight and our, and our, diet ideas, they take up a lot of mental space, like enormous amounts of mental space, like worry takes up an enormous amount of mental space. I was having a conversation with a friend recently about how a a few pounds of extra weight become this thing you think about all the time. And it's like, man, like how, how did this happen? Like how, why am I obsessed about this? And when you're looking to shift your relationship with food, uh, one of the fastest way to do that is to take something you really enjoy and then eat it really consciously. Okay. Uh, and the best way is to eat it quietly, um, sitting at a table and enjoying every bite, like noticing how it tastes, noticing how it feels, um, the flavors, the texture, and notice when you've had enough and just seeing where that balance is. This can be difficult um, depending on your current relationship with food. And I've worked with a lot of people that they're just like, I can't sit alone with food. And it's like, okay, here's the middle ground. So if you if that is impossible, then do it in the same way, but with slight distraction. So you could be outside, you could be with somebody, you could be watching a comedy, something really light and easy, but still stay focused on that food. And what that can bring up, and one of the reasons it's hard to do it on your own is that it can bring up old um, eating patterns, old traumas. And those are things to work through, like finding a good therapist or counselor and saying, okay, here's what I feel when I try to do this. And that can can, can help pull some trauma threads out of your eating habits as well. Because a lot of our, our cravings are based on stuff that happened to us in childhood. Um, and it's not, it's as kids, we have very little control in our life. We can control food and that's it. And so those still pop up as adults, um, as a nutritionist, um, I'm not trained as a counselor, so I can help with those techniques, but this is a a place to also kind of get some help to work through because what happens when we can just sit with food and just enjoy it is you can get this full feedback cycle. So if you're doing this consciously and with joy and pleasure, then you also can see what it feels like when you're done. On, on the weekend, I made this uh, chocolate lava cake. It was, it was all like good, healthy ingredients and it was delicious. But I noticed when I was done, that it was way too much sugar for me. And that I spent the rest of the day feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing this for a long time. But when we instead eat it with guilt then there's no pleasure, feed, joy, feedback cycle. And so you're much more apt to want to do it again because your body's like, but you never, you didn't enjoy it yet. Like I'm right. looking for pleasure. Um, so could you go and do that again? And so in this moment, I have no interest in chocolate lava cake anytime soon because I remember how I felt afterwards. Uh, but if, if I hadn't sat there and like, oh my gosh, this flavor is so good. And maybe if I had, because it's a lava cake, it's really hard to finish a stop halfway through. I wish I had stopped halfway through because my body did send me that signal. Um, But when you can stick with it, then um, you can just get that joy and pleasure. Uh, But I also recommend noticing that end feedback loop. Like part of that process for me was also noticing like I needed to go to for a walk afterwards because my blood sugar is really high and and my partner was really grumpy for the rest of the day and that was annoying because I fed it to him too and what we uh we can stay in this better healthier feedback loop by being present by eating the foods that you really like and by 
enjoying them when you're eating them, but also know that that is a hard step sometimes because you've spent your life feeling guilty about them and it doesn't change overnight. Like worry doesn't change overnight. Yeah. Absolutely. So interesting. I, this is something I'm not very good at. I am an eater who like I eat at my desk and I eat like while I'm doing things. And I know this is something that I have been working on for a long time and not just eating to, to fuel and to get through because I don't always pay attention to how much I'm eating either. Right. And I'm not listening to my body when I'm full. And then similar to your experience, it's like I've eaten too much after and I don't feel well, or I feel sluggish in the afternoon. And I'm like, oh, shoot, it's probably because I like inhaled my lunch while I was sitting at my desk responding to emails. Right. And, you know, I, I'm fortunate that I, I'm okay with my beliefs around food in terms of body image. So I don't feel a lot of guilt around eating, but I also don't prioritize eating and my relationship with food either. So kind of the other end of the spectrum where I'm like just eating to eat and not, not paying enough attention. Mm -hmm. And that's a really common thing. And a lot of women and a lot of people, um, because this isn't just a woman thing anymore, it's really right across um, the the whole spectrum, is we they get married. So because like food has a lot of pleasure, and there's a lot of sensation there. uh, But if we've felt guilty about what we want to eat, and then we're also really busy, and we're not giving ourselves that self care, then with that marrying makes it really hard to sit quietly and eat. And that's why I like that middle ground. Um, but when, if we think of food as more than just fuel, but as nourishing the body, creating every cell and an outlet for presence, mindfulness and pleasure, then our body can start giving us a bit more feedback. The fastest way to balance uh, portion sizes is to be more present when you eat because your body will tell you. Um, and, and you don't need to measure anything. You just need to chew and stay present when, while you eat. And I've noticed a lot of women that they're, they really only eat half of what they need or half of what they thought they needed. And they're like, I felt better. And it's not about depriving yourself of the other half. It's just being noticing that like stomach signal of, yep, we're done. That's good. And, but we also uh, live in a culture where as kids, we are told to finish your plate. And so that can be its own struggle um, of just being able to say, I'm done. And I can say I'm done. I'm allowed to just be done. And that like, so there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff baked into our relationship with food and that you don't need to solve everything right away. Uh, it, it doesn't need to be something that you have to tackle everything at once. It could be just you sit and eat an apple and really uh, uh, enjoy it. Or you take one meal a day and you you maybe sit with somebody you love or um, engage in activity that you love and enjoy that plate and notice how it tastes. Like it, these are the ways in and you just need to like start the little process and it, and it snowballs. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of baby steps to changing any habit. So I love that approach as well. Is I think too, sometimes we feel, and I know dieting is, it gets into this a lot too, is like we feel like we need to like jump in 100% and make these like huge changes. And so we cut out all this stuff or we do this huge stuff and it feels overwhelming for our brains and we can't really stick to that change, right? Your body wants to go back to where you were before. So that like small changes of, you know, just having an apple and being really present and, and enjoying that moment and thinking about those signs in your body is a great place to start. 
Absolutely. And I 100% agree with you on baby steps. And what, what my experience with helping people change their diet, I've seen the power of never using willpower. What you want to do is, is find a change that you're 95% confident you can totally knock out, out of the park. Like this is going to be easy. There's no harm. Like there's no problem. I can do this. And that when you add a bunch of those together, you create real change. Um, right. The needing to jump in feet first all that does is is it makes your body need to jump out with both feet. And, and anytime you're on a diet, all you can do is go off it. And sometimes we can learn something in the middle of it. But most of the time, we just feel so guilty when we've fallen off that we, we have trouble even seeing what we learn from it. And the truth is, is every diet, every human that goes on every diet will fall off of every single diet. It's just baked into it. And so these small changes over time is how I changed my diet. It's how I've helped thousands of people change their diet. And it really, really works. And a lot of the times in a first appointment with me, I know they're leaving with, that's all I have to do. Like, really, Lisa, I have a lot right. of stuff I need to do. I'm like, no, 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 you need to nail this part first, like get this down. And the rest of the day is so much easier. And I hear that feedback from people, which is why I know it actually, like, I don't just see it in their eyes, it's going through their head. Uh, but they come to see me for a reason. And so a lot of times they've been on all these diets. And when I make giving them something so simple and so easy, they're like, it, this couldn't possibly work. And it's uh, usually a month or two later, they're like, yeah, that did make a big difference. I'm like, I know that's why we started there. <laughs> like, right. Like we, we, I, I spend the first appointment looking for what will be make the biggest effect in the easiest possible way. And that's what we start sh shifting. And it, it makes it so eating doesn't need to be hard. It doesn't need to be difficult. It doesn't need to be overly thought out. Um, you, I worked with a woman last week who is a really, really busy life. And so we were looking for these simple little things. And I'm like, yeah, you don't need to be perfect here. You just need to grab this food on your way out the door. Like this, that's, that's what we're working on now. And it makes a big difference. Yeah. Fantastic. So I know you've uh, mentioned you've done lots of work in this area. I know you do a lot of speaking as well. Maybe not right now, because we're in the middle of a pandemic, but uh, tell me about your speaking. What's that like? What do you do? So when I first started my work as a holistic nutritionist, I didn't come here with a lot of savings. And so I didn't have a lot to invest in my business. And uh, so at the first five years I was in business, especially I use public speaking as my means to advertise. And so at this point, I've done five to 600 talks, wow. most of that done in the first half, um, the last few years, it slowed down. And the last year, I've only done things online. Um, I launched a book during a pandemic. So I haven't done any book yeah. tours. <laughs> um, but it at first was something that was really scary, but I just kind of had to do because I needed to make this business work. Um, but it became this thing I love and that I miss it when it's gone. And while I don't want my biggest year was 160 talks in a year. Oh I don't goodness. need that again. No, <laughs> that's like, I'm good. And I don't love the travel. I'm glad that I don't do so much. Um, but I do love the engaging with an audience. And I, I do miss that quite a lot. Um, there's some there's, a, there's something really magical to public speaking. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I can imagine too, it'd be a great opportunity to meet so many different women and men who are sharing their experiences. And you know, something I always love when I go to conferences or, or workshops is being around other people who have that shared experience. Because I think a lot of time when we're struggling, whether it's with diet or with stress or with whatever, it feels really isolating, right? Like we're really alone in our struggles. And even though we maybe know in our heads that other people go through this, it can really, like we forget that 
right? Or we think that we're, we're just doing this by ourselves. And so I can imagine that's something great with the programs you do too. Yeah. And, and a lot of people think like public speaking, I could never do that. And it is kind of scary to start with. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. There's, mo- there's five minutes before every talk. I'm wondering, why do I do this? Like, this right. is, <laughs> but the, the thing that, that I didn't realize until I really started doing it is how much we're all in it together and that I'm, I'm able to stand up in front of people because other people took time out of their day to come and join me. And I'm so grateful for that. And everybody in the audience is also rooting for me. And that feels really, really good. And so my job is to pass along the best information I possibly can in the most kind and generous way I possibly can. And when I, when I can stay in that headspace, when I can talk to the people that are really engaged, I get more and more engaged. Like there's, there's this little magic to just talking to people who are looking at you in the audience and then you get more and more and more. And then by the end, we're all together and we're feeling good and everybody feels like they're understood. And I feel like I'm accepted. Like this is, everybody is here cheering me on and it is really, really wonderful. And when you come with this idea of, I want to share something, I want to share this, this idea, I want to help people. I think that creates this really wonderful atmosphere. It's not me up against the audience. It's us in it together that, that they help steer what the whole conversation is. Um, it, it is, it's quite magical. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like it. What a fantastic experience. So if folks want to learn more about you or they want to work with you, where can they go? So my website is my name, lisakilgore.com. And if you want just to understand what undieting is, I have a guide uh, called Five Ways to Eat What You Want. And it's at lisakilgore.com forward slash freebie. Or if you want to know more about my book, Undieting, just go to undieting.ca and you'll learn more about what it is, also where you can buy it. It's available on on all online stores in the US, it's available at Target. And in Canada, it's available in small retailers that brought it in um, and many chapters right across the country. Fantastic. I'll put all those links in the show notes as well so people can find them easily. Well, thank you again for being here with us today, Lisa. I know you answered lots of my questions. Thank you so much for sharing all that with us. Well, thanks for having me, Nicole. I really enjoyed this chat. Fantastic. All right. That's it for today, folks. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Nicole Byers, and this is the Bold Life Podcast. 